Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. All right, so uh, we are going to be reading from the Bible. So that's going to be Psalm 23 and then Luke 14. Um, So starting off in Old Testament with Psalm 23, um, I'm reading from the NIV, so feel free to follow along as you see, um, as you can. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Second reading is coming from Luke 14, 12 through 24. So Luke 14, 12 through 24. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At that time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste at my banquet. Thanks very much, Ruth. Uh, Do keep, you could flick back to Psalm 23, although we're going to be flicking around a bit in God's Word this morning uh, as we continue our Advent series for all, thinking about how Jesus is for all people as we anticipate uh, the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And also as Christians today, we anticipate his second coming when he will come and return in glory. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, I'm excited uh, to be here with you. Um, I want to ask you one question, and you're going to turn to the people around you and to answer it. Hopefully it's pretty straightforward this morning. Uh, I want you to talk to the person next to you about the best meal you've ever had. The best meal you've ever had, and more importantly, why was it so good? Why, what's the best meal you've had? Why was it so good? Turn to the people next to you, give you a minute. Go for it. Best meal, why was it so good? Go. All right, everyone.
clearly everyone's had some good meals, I reckon. Um, uh, we're going to think a bit about hospitality afresh uh, today, and that's why I got you thinking about meals. Um, one of the reasons why I think it's good for us, uh, at least personally, to think about hospitality afresh is um, I've just, just a book recommendation as we get going this morning is a book called Refuge Reimagined. Uh, by Mark and Luke Glanville, uh, two Australian authors, actually, one who uh, works in Australia in sort of international relations, and a, another one, another, the other brother works over in Regent College in Canada. Um, Biblical Kinship in Global Politics doesn't sound like the most riveting read, uh, but it's actually really great how they think about our current refugee crisis in the world and how there's actually a ways we perhaps as Christians can lead the way in seeing that crisis sort of somewhat averted. Um, so I can encourage you to grab this refuge reimagined. Um, but uh, with that meal in mind uh, and the reason why you love that meal so much, um, have a look at the screen just briefly. Uh, this morning's church gathering is brought to you by Coles. <laughs> the, the fresh food people. Um, that's, that's, is that them or is that wrong? That's Woolworths. Oh, well. They won't be sponsoring us anymore, clearly. <laughs> Curtis Stone, is that Curtis Stone? Have I got him right? Anyway, um, that's, that's, the, that's the 2021 Coles commercial uh, as they promote Christmas. And I, I read an article by a guy named Steve McAlpine the other day who's an Australian theologian, and he just goes, I think Coles have nailed that this year. Um, they've done their research and, you know, we've been dislocated from family for maybe a couple of years and many of us in the room, right, will still be dislocated from family. And so they've kind of, Steve McAlpine writes, so they've kind of in that little, that's one minute, have kind of captured that sense of joy that we experience when we gather together with those we know and love around some good food. Um, today we're exploring hospitality and I do want to say that, to be clear, right, this sermon is not going to be a step-by-step guide to putting on the perfect Christmas Day feast. Um, another plug for Coles. Um, they, they tell you how to do it. Um, Coles, you, it's free. This magazine is free. It's a beautiful magazine. Um, the fresh food people know. Um, there's plenty of advice in that magazine, plenty of advice out there online. Um, and I don't know, the... The commercial we just watched will give you tips on what it will look like to put on a feast. Rather today, I want to think about three things when it comes to hospitality. I want to think about the meaning of hospitality, the significance of hospitality, and the power of hospitality. Uh, the meaning, significance, and power of hospitality. That's what we're going to look at today. So firstly, the meaning of hospitality. Um, now, I don't know about you, but often when I think about the word hospitality, my mind does jump to, to dinner parties and festivities and times like this, Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, uh, New Year's Eve parties. But the meaning of hospitality is so much richer. richer. Uh, I don't know, you've heard me say this before, that grammar is good for you. Uh, so is etymology. Etymology is good for you, the meaning of words. And the meaning of the word hospitality is utterly spectacular. Uh, in the Greek, the original Greek, hospitality is a compound word called philoxenia. Say it with me. Philoxenia. There you go. I dropped that one on Christmas Day. Um, when it comes to the Greek, philo, philo is love. So philosophy is love of wisdom. Uh, philology love of language. 
And xenia or xenos is the word foreigner or stranger from which we get the word like xenophobia, fear of the stranger or the foreigner. Philos, xenia, philoxenia. And so if you have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, uh, you get an example of this, right? So the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitalities, hospitality to angels without knowing it. Did you see? Hospitality is love of the stranger, and to get a little bit geeky and greeky, uh, this opening exhortation in Hebrews chapter 13 would have sounded lovely in the original language when it was read out to the church because verse one basically says, keep on loving the brothers and sisters. So keep on doing Philadelphia, that's brothers and sisters, love for brother, brother and sister. And so what the writer basically is doing is keep on doing Philadelphia, love your brothers and sisters, don't forget Philoxenia. Huh. Love the family and love the foreigner. Love strangers as if they were family. Now, in the ancient world, right, when this letter was read out, Hebrews chapter 13, first century AD, it was common that you would show hospitality pretty much only to your biological family. But in light of the gospel of God's grace, with the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians are to consider even strangers family, inviting strangers and travelers to your tables. Whether they be, as the writer of Hebrews goes on, to be prisoners or the oppressed in verse three, brothers or strangers, everyone gets invited. So that's the definition of hospitality, biblically speaking, philoxenia, to treat strangers as family, the meaning of hospitality. But let's think about the significance, secondly, of hospitality. The meaning of hospitality is treating strangers as family. What's the significance of hospitality? I became aware of this a little while ago, but the number of times that Christians are to show hospitality in the New Testament is equal to the number of times we're called to be honest or called to non-violence. Now we don't do theology by numbers here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, but that's significant. See, hospitality is not just a throwaway idea, something perhaps we consider seriously, you know, now and then. It's, it's meant to be part of who we are as God's people. Here's a snapshot of the New Testament calls to hospitality, to philoxenia. Uh, here we go. They're coming up on the screen. Yay! Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable able to teach. I mean, there's a word, right, to those who would say they are leaders of a church community. One of the key characteristics is to be hospitable. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that as I stand here today, this message is as much to me as it is to you. Um, we went away um, as a family over the last couple of days to Tanunda, where, you know, in many ways, I was called as a part of my family to be hospitable to the members of my family. This is on Adele's side. 
I wasn't very hospitable. And my wife called me out on it. She said, you're not being very hospitable in those sorts of words. And uh, I realised I wasn't. I am a leader of God's people and I fall short of this particular qualification. Uh, Titus 1, rather, he must be hospitable again to leaders, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. The New Testament goes on. Next slide. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's a tough one. And this is even before we think about how the Bible loads heaps of weight and importance onto the concept of hospitality. I don't know if you saw that reference there in Hebrews chapter 13 to the connection between showing hospitality and entertaining angels. The question I was going to ask at the beginning actually was, have you ever entertained an angel um, at one of those meals? But the writer in verse 2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now this doesn't mean there is some kind of lucky door prize associated with hospitality, right? You invite some people around for lunch and you go, oh my gosh, Adele, did you know that Simon and Liz, they're actually angels? I mean, they actually kind of are, I reckon, but anyway. It's like a lucky door prize, isn't they? They're sort of like flapping wings and I don't know. The writer to the Hebrews, when he says you might entertain angels, is actually referring to an Old Testament story, uh, Genesis chapter 18, that involves Abraham, the father of God's people. And it's actually, I think, the first example of hospitality that we have in the scriptures. Uh, So Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, is there. Uh, There are three people involved, and he throws this feast. And then during the feast, he discovers that they are actually angels. Now what's fascinating for me Genesis is Genesis 18 and verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now you know me, right? I could talk about these interesting things all day, right? But we do have to prepare Christmas lunch next week at some stage. But, but think about this. The Lord appears, there are three people, three angels. I'm thinking Trinity, the Trinity. Here's my point. In showing hospitality, Abraham met God. What does that mean for you and for me? I think it means that hospitality is more than simply material, more than simply food and wine and drinks and cheese and crackers and whatever else. It it is spiritual. I'd even say that it's divine. God is there in the midst of our hospitality. And, And you see this throughout the Bible. In the scriptures, right, we learn that God, the living God of the Bible, Yahweh, is the great philozenos, the great philozenia, the great host and the great lover of the stranger. 
Uh, So Deuteronomy 10, verse 18. The Lord, Yahweh, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Wow, like the Lord God shows hospitality to the foreigner, to the stranger. And then that same Lord who shows that hospitality calls God's people living in the land, living in his house, to be the same welcomers to the stranger as well. Um, Side note, that book that I shared um, about refugees um, really pushes us in this area as God's people to not just simply be people who love one another, but offer that extra love and welcome to those who are far from us, who are fleeing persecution, fleeing war, fleeing famine, fleeing all kinds of things. The, The one thing that that book actually pushes me to think about is that as Christians, We ought to care far more for humans fleeing hardship and persecution than we care about border security. We need to be people who welcome. That's Deuteronomy 10 verse 18. Amidst the writings of the Bible, Psalm 23, which we had read out, such a well-known psalm. Stanza 2, we see that God is the great host. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David, as David emerges from the valley of the shadow of death, he's welcomed into the Lord's house. Running from his enemies, a door opens, and the Lord invites him to the table where there's this massive spread, oil on his head, and a cup overflowing, not like some of the stingy pubs in the Barossa Valley, by the way. I was there the other night with my family eating some dinner, and I just asked for a lovely glass of Shiraz at the pub, and this guy put a nice-looking glass on the counter, and he poured it, and it was like a little taste. You know, you might, like, you might go to I'm like, where's the rest, man? And he was like, that's all you get. It was a bit more than just a taste, but I was like, anyway. But the Lord is the great host. Cups overflowing. So you've got the law. God is the great lover of the stranger. In the writings of the Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord is the great host. And the prophets were given this picture of what the future kingdom of God will be like. What do we see? God hosting a what? A banquet. Isaiah 25, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare, this is looking to the future kingdom that will come when the Lord Jesus returns. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will... Swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The kingdom of God is a banquet hosted by God for the foreigner. A feast of rich food, aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. This banquet is hosted by the living God for all people, strangers and foreigners. 
You know, that image of the banquet in the kingdom of God becomes really the central image in the New Testament when talking about the future kingdom. It's no surprise that when God shows up on planet Earth in human flesh, we find Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, talking about the future feast and inviting all peoples to participate in it. So Luke 14, the second reading that uh, Ruth brought us this morning is this lovely passage where Jesus is at a banquet and someone asks him about the big banquet and then Jesus has something really cool to say back. Chapter uh, uh, Chapter 14 of Luke, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Surely a reference back to Isaiah 25. And then Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. He then goes on, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and to compel them to to come in so that my house will be full. It's a picture of how Israel rejects God's invitation to the feast so the servant goes out to invite everyone else. That's chapter 14 of Luke's gospel. Then you turn the page or just jump to the other page depending on how your Bible's arranged and you see Jesus practicing hospitality to the outsider he gets into trouble for doing that and then he tells a parable, a parable about hospitality to the outsider. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's, what starts Luke 15? Anyone? No? Luke 15? Anyone? It's a lucky door prize for this one, right? No. Prodigal son. Prodigal son. Um, here's, here's a lovely sketch from the Jesus Storybook Bible. There you go. The parable of of prodigal son. Luke 15 starts this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and look at their mutterings, all about hospitality. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. You know the parable, right? Father has two sons. One comes in and says, I want all your stuff. I don't want you. And the father gives him the inheritance, goes to a far off land, squanders it on wild living. He ends up in a pig pen. Then he comes to his senses in the pig pen. I love that. I think that it's what it means to become a Christian, to come to your senses. And then he returns home. You know the scene, the father runs out to meet this son, filled with compassion, throws a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And what did they do? They began to celebrate. Do you see the logic? Jesus is feasting and celebrating with sinners. He gets into trouble for it. So he tells a story about a father throwing a great banquet 
for a sinner. Jesus' point, hospitality, love of the outsider, is not just an item in a long list of things that as Christians we're supposed to do. It arises from the very heart and character of God. So it ought to be at the very heart and character of God's redeemed people. The Bible makes hospitality a theological necessity because God is the ultimate philo-xenos, the lover of stranger. So we've looked at the meaning of hospitality. We've looked at the significance of hospitality. What about the power of hospitality? I define hospitality as treating strangers as family. But here's the key thing I want to say. Hospitality has the power to make that a reality. Hospitality has the power to transform strangers into family so they become loved ones. Those who are very far from Christ can come to Christ through hospitality. I was reading an article just a couple of days ago by a guy named Matthew Chandler. Uh, who is the president of Acts 29, the church planting group that we are kind of attached to here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. He's he's a man who who loves the Lord Jesus, who loves the scriptures, who loves mission, who loves evangelism. And in this short little article, he said that perhaps in our cultural moment, in our post-Christian world, one of the most powerful evangelistic strategies we have as the church, as members of God's community, is hospitality. Not at all to downplay the necessity to proclaim the good news in word, but to show the love of God through welcoming people into our lives. I found it really compelling. And, and not, I'm not actually totally compelled only by Matthew Chandler. He uses his arms too much in his preaching. I get a bit overwhelmed. But um, beyond that, I'm, I'm actually more compelled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did this. Jesus wasn't just a party animal, right? Sure, when you read Luke's gospel, you'll see Jesus at loads of parties. So if you're a lot of parties in the next week, you'll like Jesus. No, not really. Um, But he was a party animal. He really enjoyed feasting and celebrating and enjoying creation, but that's not the point. Like in ancient times, you only invited people to meals who were kind of sharing the same religious background or you were socially equal with them. So think about this, right? Jesus sought out opportunities all over the place to eat with sinners. People were so different to him. He left himself wide open to criticism that he was going to be stained by their sin. And so Jesus got the reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That wasn't a compliment, by the way. But Jesus reversed that logic. Jesus said, the power goes the other way. He says, my hospitality invites people into grace. He's not stained by their sin. They're sanctified by his love. So wonderful. There's the power of hospitality. And I've shared this before. I stand here today, a follower of Jesus, giving a testimony of the power of hospitality. In some ways, humanly speaking, by these two, they're coming 
They're coming, I think. Yeah. There's Ralph and there's Julie. Uh, Ralph, I don't know if you've ever seen Ralph. I've shared how I turned to Christ when I met a bike rider um, in the Adelaide Hills. That's Ralph. He looks like a bike rider, right? Thin, gnarly, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, Ralph shared the gospel with me um, and in part it was him who led me to Christ. Um, But these two, uh, Ralph and Julie, ordinary Adelaide Hills dwellers, Ralph, a good bike rider by the way, Julie, just warm, lovely Christian woman, invited me to church week after week. And it wasn't just going to church, they invited me back to their home for, for meals. I've got to admit, there were moments where I thought Christianity was really weird. Um, so I'd be sitting there, we'd have this lovely lunch, and then we'd, the, the group would sort of gather, had other people from church around, and, and we'd sit around, and then all of a sudden they'd just break into speaking in tongues. And I'm like, what is going on? I didn't actually find it particularly offensive at all. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I in? But, it was, it was, but their hospitality was extraordinary. It's open their house, open their lives, and in the context of that, share the gospel with me. They treated me like I was family. And Tim Chester, in a book that he's written, writes this, Jesus ate meals with people. If we routinely share meals and we have a passion for Jesus, then we'll almost certainly end up doing mission. It's not that the meals alone save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what we're saying. Brothers and sisters, are you conveying God's grace? Are you loving the foreigner? Loving the outsider? There are many ways to express this. We've thought about the meaning of hospitality, the significance of it, and the power. There are many ways to express this. Let me just share five as we wrap up. Five ways to be like Christ, to be like God, and be philozenoses, loving the stranger. First one, invite neighbours into your house. I know we live in COVID pandemic land. I know we have restrictions on how many people we can have in our homes, and there is some concern there. But I'm convinced that if Jesus lived on my street, Marion Place, he wouldn't have a big fence. He'd have a long table. We don't live in fortresses, brothers and sisters. The gospel needs to shape our homes. We need to open wide our doors to strangers. Secondly, share meals with your church family. Share meals with the members of our church family. I love, continue to love how we have our fortnightly community lunches here at church. But I'd love to see more hospitality happening in our homes week after week. I don't think this happens enough in our church community. One of the things that Adele and I have felt really acutely this year by not having a home because our home has been renovated and we're living in a two-bedroom unit with three adults and three children, formerly a cat as well. You know about that. Um, Thankfully, the cat is no longer. But anyway, um, 
I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. You wouldn't want to come and have dinner at our house right now or our unit. Uh, you would, people, a few people have walked in there and they've gone, but one of the things I, I, I felt this acutely as your pastor this year is just that lack of opportunity to open our house and just do life together and eat meals together. It's just more challenging. That's one of the things we long for when our house is one day, if it ever happens, finished, is to have you around for a meal just so you can see how we live and we can get to know each other and we can do life together. But I, I really want to encourage us. Let's share meals with our church family. It doesn't have to be flashy. doesn't have to be like the front cover of Coles sponsoring today. No. Like Tim Patrick, remember Tim Patrick came a little while ago, preached on 1 Corinthians 11, and just said maybe one of the, the good things we should do rather than have fancy food is just have fresh bread, butter, and Vegemite so that everyone can just participate and not feel awkward because they didn't bring something fancy. Just, just doing life together, welcoming strangers. Invite neighbours into your house, share meals with your church family. Thirdly, invite people to church. If, if church is our family, if we are kin, you know, connected, bonded together as brothers and sisters in Christ, let's welcome the stranger into our midst so that they can move from being a stranger to being family. Rodney Stark, a sociologist, He's researched what factors lead people to evangelical churches growing. What lead to evangelical churches growing? Rodney Stark said, number one, simply invitation from church members to neighbours. That's what leads churches to grow. Not great music, although I think we have great music. Not powerful preaching, although it's very powerful. No. Not a perfect building, not the finest espresso, not to pick on the coffee guys again, but let's lift the game a bit, no. It's not, it's not the finest food, it's not the greatest music, it's not the powerful preaching, it's not the most incredible latte art, it's not the most, it's simple personal invitations where members who are not family can move from being strangers to friends to family to being in Christ. Let's invite people to church. Fourthly, welcome visitors who come to City Light Church North Adelaide. One of the wonderful things I think about our church is we have almost every single week new people come. Some churches around Australia, around the world see one visitor a year. We have new people almost every week. And one of the realities is that when a person walks into a new church, it is insanely uncomfortable for people. And one of the things we can do is host them like they're in our house. Some people ask me, you know, why do we have the coffee machine out the front? It seems a bit over the top. And I'm like, well, if you came to my house, I'd flick on the coffee machine and I'd offer you a coffee. You're coming into our house, we want to offer you a beverage. That's why we do it. Invite people and welcome them. And fifthly and finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, relax in your seat at Jesus' table. Ponder anew this day God's welcome of you, a sinner, me a sinner, to his banquet. 
how he's poured you an overflowing cup of blessing. And the more you get that, the more I get that, the more we will be men and women who show hospitality at Christmas, but all the time, because we're more and more like Jesus. Relax in your seat at Jesus' table. Ponder anew his welcome of you, a sinner. Relax and enjoy his abundant hospitality. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.